The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word this morning. It's, it's important to me, but as we get into the word, I want to share a couple of things with you. I mentioned I'm not very theme driven, and, and that is the case, but I, I intentionally want to stay on task with where we're at uh, because I'm only going to have a, a couple of weeks and I, I'm going to have to be out. I have, uh, I've been invited to go join uh, Frank Aikens in West Africa. Uh, many of you who are, are members here at Champions and are familiar with Frank. Uh, should be excited about that. We love Frank and the ministry that he has there. Uh, I, I need to go be with him. He's got a, a, a group of, of men coming from all over Africa. It's a meeting that they don't do annually, but they do every couple of years. It's very important. Uh, and, and they've invited uh, uh, me to come and represent Champions Church and be a part of that. And I'm really excited for that. I want to ask you to participate. I want to ask you to participate, be in prayer for those meetings, ask God to do great things there. I mean, you're talking about an opportunity to, to minister and be with people from, that are influencing the majority of Western Africa. I could name some of these men by name, but the, it, you wouldn't know them. Uh, some of them are friends of mine. Some of them have been in their churches and, and uh, done things in their nations. But to have an opportunity to all come together instead of just go visit one, visit another on occasion, you know, every so often, everyone coming together in the same room, trusting and believing God, for an outpouring of the Spirit, for, for fresh impartation, is really an exciting thing. And I want you to know something. You know, as we talk about uh, sowing and as we talk about giving and, and we anticipate great things, I want to let you know something that you did. You don't even know you did it. Uh, I, I want to share it with you. I can't believe we haven't talked about it before. I, I have a picture, but I don't think it would be appropriate to show. Uh, so I, I don't want to, to show the picture, but... Uh, it was it was a while back I'd gotten a phone call. When I say a while back, probably uh, nearly a, two months ago, I got a phone call, and it was from uh, Apostle Frank uh, out of West Africa. And he was talking about the events coming up, but he, he said that he had an urgent uh, situation. He said he'd, he'd woken up and uh, was going blind, that he, he couldn't see out of his, his eye, his left eye, and uh, that he had, had gotten some uh, medical advice and counsel on that. It was going to require a surgery. It was a, a, uh, for him, where he lives, it would be a very serious deal. I mean, uh, for us, where we live, it would probably, you know, you, you'd go to your eye doctor, he'd send you to a specialist, and you'd have it all mapped out in, in under a week, you know. Uh, but for him, he had to travel to another country and have the surgery. Uh, the hardship for him in that situation was the money to do that. And you don't know this, but you paid for it. I mean, as Champions Church, we paid for that eye surgery. So now, I mean, as Frank, his eye is getting better, as it's getting stronger, as he's able to, to regain that eyesight as he continues to minister, he's very grateful for your kindness and your graciousness to extend that kind of a, a generous uh, offer of fellowship toward him. And we're looking forward to that uh, continuing to improve. He gives good reports every day that things are clearer and clearer. Last time I talked to him, he said he saw men like trees. Now... <laughs> If, if you're familiar, there's a passage in the scripture that says that, you know, and so he was quoting that uh, with a good sense of humor, but he did say that he's getting good reports every time he's checking up, uh, but I want to I let you know that you're a part of that because I think that's important for you to understand that when we sow here at Champions, it, it, it's not just for Champions, that it goes around the world, great things. 
Uh, I want to get into the Word because I want to finish this week and next week before I'm, I'm going to be with Frank in West Africa. I want this week and next week. Now, this week, we're going to be touching on something that is, might sound a little bit familiar because we've talked about uh, the topic a couple of times, but we're going to look at it from a, a fresh perspective here. Uh, I encourage note-taking. If you're, if you're able to take some notes, that's a good thing. Writing things down is an, an incredible way to, to help record uh, what's being spoken for the purpose of revisiting it. And you have to understand, too, when we come together, we know that we're, God is speaking something out of his word, and he's speaking to us as a group. But individually, God loves you so much, he desires to speak to you personally. And individually, you'll hear things today. You'll hear them differently than the person next to you. And if you don't think that's true, let me preach on marriage one Sunday, and I can guarantee you that, you know, husband and wife will hear things differently. But you hear things differently according to your life experience, your current needs, and things like that. And God's very, very interested in ministering to those needs on a very personal level. And that's why I encourage writing things down so you can revisit it in your own time and allow the Spirit of God to reveal to you what He wants to speak to you directly. So here's a few things that you can look forward to. Uh, if you're taking notes, you're welcome to write these things down, things to anticipate. Uh, the first one is going to sound a little familiar because we've had uh, a similar one the past couple of weeks, but how to know God. How to know God. Now, I can tell you this is an important one. As Jesus speaks about knowing God, he, he equates it to eternal life. He says, now this is eternal life that they may know you and the Christ whom you've sent. Now, the you that he's speaking of is God the Father. So it's important for us to know God. Now, one of the traps that we can fall into is mistaking knowing God for knowing about God, right? Big difference between knowing God and knowing about God. I mean, uh, if, if I were to write a book about my life, it might not be that interesting, but if you were to read it, you would know a lot of things about me. But you wouldn't know me until we were introduced and we actually spent time together and spoke together and had fellowship with one another. So there's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And we're seeing something that's really important here. Jesus is saying eternal life is knowing God and the Christ whom he's sent, obviously speaking of himself, uh, Jesus himself. We're going to learn how to know God. There's an element there that we need to pursue in our prayer life and as we read the word. A second thing we're going to find is what your enemy's plan is. Now, your enemy is the devil. So if you want to just simplify it, what the devil's plan is. He's got a plan. His plan is to destroy your life, and he has a strategy to do that. We're going to expose that strategy uh, in, in order to have a better understanding of how we need to live and operate. A, a third thing that we're going to find is what we must be. And if, you, if I were writing that down, I would underline must. I mean, must is really an absolute. It's, it's an urgent thing. So this is a requirement, what we must be. We're going to find those things out. So we're going to go through a lot of Scripture. I'm going to try not to speak too fast. I'm going to try to slow it down, but we're going to move to cover a lot of ground this morning. And it starts in the book of Exodus, chapter 33. If you want to turn there, you can look at Exodus, chapter 33. We're going to look specifically at verse 13. Now, we've seen this verse for the past two weeks. We've talked about uh, the compassion of God and His graciousness. The reason why we've been looking at this is because of what we see here in Exodus 33. We see a conversation between God the Father and Moses. And as they're conversing, Moses is revealing something. Moses is revealing that he's seen all kinds of things. He's seen miracles. He's seen signs. He's seen wonders. He's seen an entire nation liberated from the strongest nation on the earth at the time. 
He has seen uh, incredible, miraculous things in, in the things that touched Egypt. He's seen the miraculous and in, in, in the very power of God displayed, uh, not just as something that he witnessed, but as something that even flowed through his own life. He's seen all of these things, but in seeing all of those things, he still understands that all he has is knowledge about God. And he wants to know God, not just know about Him. And you'll see it here in verse 13 as they're conversing. This man's seen great things. He's learned great things. He's had all this impartation of knowledge. But yet, when he's conversing with God, he says this in Exodus chapter 33, verse 13. He says, let me know your ways so that I may know you. I don't want to just know about the stuff that you do. I want to know why you do it. I want to know your heart. I want to know your motives. I want to know the things that drive you to do the things you do, or else I just know about you and I don't know you. This is his prayer, and it needs to be our prayer as well. Father, show me your ways so that I may know you. I'm not content to just know about you, to know about the things that you do, to hear the stories, but I want to know your heart and your motives. I want you to show me your ways in order that I might know you. Now, God answers Moses. And he answers him, you'll find it there in verse 19, just a few passages down. He says, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I'll be gracious on the one that I'll be gracious to and compassionate on the one that I'll be compassionate toward. And and he does this then in Exodus 34. You have to move over one more chapter to see God fulfill his word, to make good on his promise to Moses' request. Let me know your way so that I may know you. Now, when this is coming to pass, it comes to pass like this, and it's in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Then the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord your God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Now, it goes on to other things, but I want us to look at those things. Because we're seeing God fulfill his commitment to show Moses his ways. He reveals to him first compassion. At the very foundation of the nature of God is compassion. We talked about compassion a couple of weeks ago. That it meant being aware of someone else's need and desiring to meet that need. Being aware of someone else's suffering and desiring to relieve that suffering. Compassion will always have those two parts. First of all, awareness. Second, the desire to do something about it. God in his nature is compassionate and he's called us to be the same. And second, we see gracious, that he's gracious. And we talked about that last week. By by short definition, it's, it's kindness as a motivation. God's never under any obligation to perform any favorable act to any believer, to any person at all. But out of his kindness, out of his own graciousness, he does so. Now today I want to look at slow to anger. Now, as God is showing Moses his ways in order that Moses may know him, we need to understand God is showing these things also to us so that we may know him. Compassion, gracious, and then slow to anger. I want to just ask a quick question here. How many of you have ever witnessed anger before? Yeah, I mean, hands are going up. We're familiar with this. And we're going to find out today that anger is a major issue. 
It's a really big deal. There's a reason why we could all raise our hand. I mean, it's 100% across the room. We've all uh, dealt with anger, whether it has come our way or whether it has been released from our own life through our words and actions. I want to give you a little bit of a test. I mean, in any situation, in any circumstance, you can carry this with you as as a bit of a a measuring uh, stick. I mean, you can consider it an anger test, so to speak. If you're taking notes there, you can write down a few passages of Scripture here. We're going to look first at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8. Now, here's an issue that I have, right? I'm going to show you my clay feet a little bit. Uh, When I go home, I don't fill up the bathtub and walk on the water, right? I mean, I go home, and and I have a a, a marriage and children and, and... you know, the, the same things, the, the issues of life. You have the bills and all of these things. I mean, I deal with these things. Now, on occasion, I will communicate to my wife or my children or other people, people I work with, and I'll, I'll have it revealed back to me that it was aggressive or it was, was angry. And I'll sit there and think, well, I wasn't angry. Well, I don't know that that really matters what I think. It, you know, it matters what they think at the time as they're receiving this coming out from me. So I started to, to ask myself, well, how do I know? I mean, how do I know if I'm angry or not? If all the time people are telling me that, hey, that came off pretty angry, but I'm saying I'm cool, I'm not angry, how can I test this? I want to give us an anger test. And, and, and be advised, I'm going to be carrying this one in my back pocket. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. But the one who's slow to anger calms a dispute. What I need to ask myself in any situation or circumstance, what you need to ask yourself in any situation or circumstance, am I making this worse or am I making this better? Am I stirring up strife or am I bringing calmness or peace? Because according to this promise here, the one that's slow to anger brings that calmness, brings that peace in the midst of a dispute. Here's a couple of passages for you. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. It says, The one that's slow to anger has great understanding, but the one who's quick-tempered, he promotes foolishness. Proverbs 19, 11, it reads like this, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And his glory is to overlook transgression. And that word discretion there is a really powerful Hebrew word. Shekel. It's it's to be prudent, to be wise, to have understanding. In this case, it's translated, and rightfully so, discretion. If it's my desire to be slow to anger, if it's your desire to be slow to anger, we need to have this shekel in our life. We need to have this prudence, this understanding, this discretion in our life. I want to read that to you again, and I want you to hear this more as a cause and effect. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. If I find that I'm quick to anger, that I I, I can lose my temper, that I don't make things more peaceful, but I add strife and chaos to things when I'm dealing with them, that means that I am quick-tempered and I need to be slow to anger. And if I need to be slow to anger, according to Proverbs 19.11, I need discretion. I need that shekel. I need it. A man's shekel makes him slow to anger. A man's discretion. So discretion is a word that I want to understand then. 
I mean, if we all walk out of here and we understand that, that we need discretion to be slow to anger, it really doesn't help us unless we know what the word discretion means, right? So let's turn to the dictionary and find out what discretion means. Discretion. The quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense. I want to read that again. The quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense. Now here's a second definition. And as much as I love the first one, there's something about the second one that really I bear witness with. And I think it's really phenomenal and we need to discuss it shortly. That second definition, it reads like this. The freedom to decide what should be done in a particular situation. I want to read that again so everyone can hear it clearly. Discretion is the freedom to decide what should be done in a particular situation. Now you can let your wheels turn on that for a minute because that's really powerful. At least it is to me. For me to have discretion means I need to have the freedom to make a decision. I need to have the freedom to make a decision. I don't need that decision to be influenced by anything outside of me. The other person's actions, the other person's words. I don't need that to have any influence in it. In fact, what discretion really is at the foundation is operating in what one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit would be, and that is self-control. Self-control, and self-control can be simplified by this understanding. Self-control means nothing else is controlling you. I'm not being controlled by your provoking words. I'm not being controlled by the way that makes me feel. I'm not being controlled by yesterday's slander. I'm not being controlled by today's frustration. I'm in control of myself. That's self-control. To live out a life of self-control would be to live out a life of discretion, having the freedom to decide what should or should be done. But our discretion is obviously going to come under attack. That self-control is going to come under attack through outside provocations, through temptations to, to lash out. And there's a reason why anger is such a prevalent thing. Why it's so important for us to understand that the nature of God, at the foundations of His nature, is a slowness to anger. For us to be made in His image and after His likeness would be to follow suit, to be slow to anger ourselves. I mean, anger is absolutely 100% the devil's plan for your life. He wants to get you super angry. I mean, now let me tell you why I believe that. We're going to turn to the scripture for this. I, I mentioned before, it's one of the things we're going to find, what your enemy's plan is. Let's see that. James chapter 1, verse 20. If you have your Bibles, James chapter 1, verse 20. Here's how this passage reads. James chapter 1, verse 20. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. I'm going to read it again, and we're going to talk about it. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Now, that does not as absolute. I mean, you could say never. The anger of man will never achieve or accomplish the righteousness of God. God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's rich in righteousness. There's no compromise in it. God has a great plan for your life. But if we're operating in anger, we'll never achieve that plan. Now, if I were your enemy, 
And I understood that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, that there's nothing I can do about that, and that God has a plan for your life, I would be looking for the one thing that could keep you from fulfilling that plan. And according to what we read here in the book of James, that one thing that can keep you from fulfilling that plan is anger. So I would make it my business to stir up as much anger as I possibly could. I believe that's our enemy's plan, to stir up strife and anger, to stir in us anger, to pour out uh, feelings of rejection and hurt and wound and offense, to whisper in our ear, who does that guy think he is? Who does she think she is? I think that, that Satan had a role in, in, in a lot of the, the, the garbage that we deal with today in every aspect of gossip and slander. In fact, if you were to look up the word malicious gossip in the New Testament, the majority of the time it's translated malicious gossip. A few of the times it's translated Satan. He's stirring up anger and stirring up strife. And as long as we're operating in anger, according to James, we're not going to accomplish what God has for us. So if, if I were the enemy, if I were the devil, I would choose to, to stir anger. Here's why, because anger is contagious. If you want to write that down in your notes, I think that's a good one to be aware of. Anger is absolutely contagious. I mean, if you sat down here in church and the person next to you just was a, a river of snot, nonstop sneezing and coughing, would you move seats? I, I, I would probably politely just try to scoot as far away as I could in the seat I was in before I actually just got up and moved because I don't want to catch what they have. I love you. I'm trusting God you're going to get over it, but I don't want it. Anger is contagious. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. It's an instruction. Do not associate with a man given to anger. Well, that's an interesting instruction. Do not associate with a man given to anger. Now, here's why. It says why. Do not associate with a man given to anger, or you will learn his ways and find yourself in a trap. I mean, you got to understand how important that word will is. It's not could. It's not might. Hey, don't hang around angry people because it could rub off on you. Don't hang around angry people. They might influence you. It's do not associate with people given to anger or you will learn their ways. Anger has a lot of, of side effects. Now, we've talked about some of these before. Some of them may sound familiar. I'm going to give you these passages of Scripture. We're going to move quickly through them. Anger can hinder healing. Ecclesiastes 11.10 says this, Remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body. Now, you could either hear that as two instructions or you could hear it as one cause and effect. Put away grief and anger from your body. And the result is put away pain from your body. Excuse me, put away grief and anger from your heart and the result put away pain from your body. Anger can, can derail the deliverance, the, the work that God's done in your life, setting you free from affliction and bondage. I mean, I've known addiction in my life. In the past, God set me free from it miraculously and powerfully. And, and I have no desire or intention to go back, but I understand that anger could take me back there. 
Because apparently, according to the Proverbs, anger can undo a work of deliverance in a person's life. I'll give you the passage of Scripture, Proverbs 19, verse 19. A man of great anger will bear the penalty. For even though you rescue him, you'll only have to do it again. You can set him free, and in a matter of time, you'll have to set him free again. And then in a matter of time, you'll have to set him free again. And in a matter of time, you'll have to set him free again. All because of anger. Anger makes a way for sin. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture here. Psalm 37, verse 8. It reads like this. Cease from anger. Cease just meaning stop. Stop being angry. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. It only leads to evil doing. I mean, think about that for a second. Being angry only leads to evil doing. There's a couple of things in my life that I've never done anything productive with. Super glue is one of them. <laughs> I've never fixed anything with super glue. I have made so many things worse with super glue. But in my head, I mean, I remember trying to fix a broken lock once. And when I was done with it with super glue, it was, it was a mess. But anger was never going to fix anything. It's never going to be the solution. According to this, anger will only lead to evil doing. Proverbs 29 verse 22, An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Abounds means like it is abundant. It's not just a little or every now and then, but it's going to be prevalent in that individual's life. Transgression is not just sin. Transgression is understood sin. I know it's wrong, and I'm going to do it anyway. If you wanted to scratch out the word transgression and write a word that we use today in, you could write in the word rebellion. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Now, here's why our enemy wants us to do these things, right? I mean, he wants us to be angry because we'll never fulfill God's plan for our life. And God has a wonderful plan for your life. He wants us to be angry because it hinders healing. He wants us to be angry because it, it wages war against deliverance. He wants us to be angry because it opens the door for sin. He wants us to be angry because, Matthew 5, verse 22. I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be guilty before the court. He wants us to be angry because it leads to judgment. So now here's where we're at. I mean, it gets quiet, right? Do you feel that hush, right? You know, I know some of you have that Mother's Day pot roast in the oven or you've got a reservation at a restaurant or something, and that might be the hush, but I'm just going to pretend it's because we're really moved by the Word of God this morning. Now, we've all been in, uh, touched by anger. We've all had anger touch our lives. There's, 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 there's no doubt. I mean, it's 100%. You read about these things, the horrors of anger, what it produces. For some of us, we're hearing this and we're saying, wow, that explains a lot. For others, we're hearing this and thinking, I really need to examine my life. But what we need to do is we need to find out what's the solution. I mean, 
If we just learn about anger and how terrible it is, then all that does is give us an explanation for why our lives are a train wreck or why dealing with this person is so difficult or, or why that never seems to get off the ground over there or, or why we keep going back to the same old things. And that really doesn't help us. It just explains the problem. It doesn't relieve the problem. What we need is the solution. So I want to talk about the solution. If you want to write something down in your notes, I think this is important to write. Anger must, and it's the word that God uses, must be mastered. Anger must be mastered. You'll see God use this terminology when he's speaking to a man named Cain in the book of Genesis. You can write this down for your notes and you can read the story, the history. It's an event that really happened. You can read it in your own time. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read verses 5 through 7. But so that you can understand what's going on, there's a situation that leaves a person disappointed. It leaves a person frustrated. It's a potential for anger. Just to let you know what's going on, this person had an opportunity to do something. What he set out to do was not a success, and therefore now he's frustrated. And in the midst of his frustration, anger begins to boil within him. Anger that carries the potential to be contagious. Anger that carries the potential to hinder healing. Anger that carries the potential to, to derail deliverance and to open the door for sin and lead to judgment, that anger begins to rise in him all because of the situation that didn't go the way he wanted it to go. And God has a conversation. Now that needs to be a relief to us, that we can be in the midst of a situation or a circumstance where we're disappointed, frustrated. Maybe we've walked through something that's been labeled a failure and that God will still meet with us. God meets with this man. His name is Cain, and he talks to Cain. They have a, a friendly conversation. It's the conversation of a loving father to a son. And you can see that conversation play out beginning in verse 5 of Genesis 4. It starts like this. So Cain became very angry. Did you catch that? He became very angry. And his countenance fell. Then God came and said to Cain... Why are you angry? What a great question. Why are you angry? Now you have to understand, I mean, let's pull off what we've already learned about the nature of God, compassionate and gracious. This isn't sarcastic. It's sincere. Cain, what is the source of this anger in your life? Not so that you can be ashamed and embarrassed by it, but so that it can be dealt with. So that forgiveness and, and repentance can be ministered for the purpose of this no longer being a boat anchor around your neck pulling you down. Why are you angry? He goes on to ask, why has your countenance fallen? Don't you know that if you just do what's right, your countenance will be lifted up? But now here comes a warning, and it's a warning that we all need to pay attention to. He says, but if you don't, if you don't do what's right to lift your countenance, to stop being angry, if you stay in this state of anger, if you don't, 
Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. I mean, just use, use your imagination for a moment to picture your, your own life and then a doorway where everything that wants to destroy you is on the other side of that door, just waiting for that door to open so that they can come pouring through. God's speaking to Cain and all of his compassion and all of his graciousness. He's saying, listen, you've become angry. This isn't good. If this isn't dealt with, you need to understand that which wishes to destroy your life, to hinder all healing, all prosperity, all deliverance, that which wishes to, to bring corruption and bondage into your life, leading to judgment, that which desires to destroy you is on the other side of that door. And then this is his instruction to Cain, but you must master it. What an incredible thing that God would reveal to us. I mean, to me and to you, this responsibility and this duty doesn't fall to him. I shouldn't just drop to my knees, God, please do this for me. Please do this for me. Please do this for me. But God would put this on us because we've been made in his image and in his likeness to be compassionate, to be gracious, and to be slow to anger. When it comes to anger, we must master it. I mean, mastering anger is going to be the key to all security and stability in our lives and in the lives of those around us. The key to security and stability in marriage and family. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Proverbs 25, verse 28. It reads like this. Like a city that's broken into and has no walls. This is the same as a man who has no control over his temper. I mean, you have to understand when this is being written, the walls around a city were what kept all the thieves out, what kept all the murderers out, what kept everything out that would bring destruction. But if anger is a part of our life and we're prone to losing our temper, there are no walls. And anything that wants to destroy, anything that wants to steal, anything that wants to wreak havoc can come and go as it pleases. Proverbs 16, verse 32, it reads like this, that the one who's slow to anger, now this is not the one that loses his temper, this is the one that can control his temper, this is the one that can be slow to anger, the one who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Oh God, let us be better than the mighty. And the one that can rule his spirit is greater than the one that can capture a city. When we can purge our lives of anger, when we can master anger just like God would instruct Cain, when we can take that instruction and apply it to our lives, that greatness and that stability can enter into our own lives, our own minds, our own marriages, our own families, our own workplace. It can enter into the church in every aspect of ministry, stability and security. So how do we master anger? I want to look at three passages of Scripture, and I want to pull from these to, to help equip us to master anger. And I want to be committed to one another to see to it that these are things we put to practice. How can we master anger? Ephesians chapter 4 gives us instruction in verses 26 and 27. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 26 and 27, they read like this. Be angry, but yet don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Now this isn't permission for us to, 
to go around being angry all the time. What this is, is an indication that, hey, things are going to not go your way. Things are going to make you mad. People are going to provoke you. Anger is going to rise inside of you. But don't give the devil an opportunity. An opportunity to what? Well, an opportunity to derail uh, deliverance, to hinder healing, to be contagious, to open the door for sin, an opportunity to bring judgment into your life. Don't give Satan an opportunity to bring division and destruction. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It means deal with it quickly. Address it quickly. I would be happy to welcome any other interpretation to that. But for today's application, that's the one that I want to embrace. Things are going to happen in your life that do provoke anger. Becoming angry is not the problem. Staying angry is. We deal with those things by addressing the problem. I mean, Jesus talks to us about how to handle problems and issues. We go to the source of the issue. We meet with them. Not for the purpose of of fighting and division and proving oneself right, but for the purpose of introducing this. This is the standard by which we handle all dispute and conflict. I had a conversation with a man recently about a business matter, and it was involving partnership, and and an individual is, is not a believer. They don't have that standard, and that was the biggest concern. If they don't have this standard, how are we going to handle the problems that are going to arise between us? This is the standard by which we settle all disputes and problems. When we operate by that standard, when we meet together and we don't allow the sun to go down on our anger, we quickly introduce the will of God into the situation that's being uh, the the provocation for the anger. And we open up the door for the solution and not for the destruction. I want to give you another uh, tip for mastering anger from the scripture, Ecclesiastes Chapter 7, I want to look at verses 9 and 10. This is how it reads. Don't be eager to say in your heart, or don't be eager in your heart to be angry. For anger resides in the heart of the fool. Don't say, why is it that the former days were better than these? It's not wise. Now, that's a weird way to say that, so let me just paraphrase it to you. What it's saying here is don't make a place for anger in your heart with regrets. Oh, that things were like yesterday. Oh, that you could be like that person from back then. Oh, that this place could be like it was years ago. Oh, that that things would be the way they used to be. That is such a a profound place where anger resides. You could say this safely. Anger resides in regret. Now there's something that we need to to operate in, an awareness that we need to have concerning today. Today's not yesterday. Today's not tomorrow. Today is today. And if you want to take down a passage of Scripture that can be medicinal, that can bring healing to any place of regret in your life, you can take down Psalm 118, verse 24. Now, we used to sing this when I was a child. We'd sing it in children's church. We'd sing it in church. We we would sing this as a song. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. 
I mean, those words became a, a, a cadence to me as a child. But today, as an adult, as a grown man, I realize the power of this confession. This confession is a declaration that I'm going to embrace what God is doing right now. I'm not going to be led by yesterday, and I'm not going to be anxious for tomorrow. But I choose to understand that God and all of His sovereignty has ordained today, and I'll rejoice in that. I'll be glad in that. And we leave no room for anger to make a place in our hearts through regrets. And I want to end with this as we look for ways to master anger. I told you before we're going to find what we must all be. If you're taking notes, you can take down this passage of Scripture. The book of James, chapter 1, verse 19. James 1, 19. In order for us to master anger, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, oftentimes when I read that, I see this instruction, this call to be three things. Everyone must be one, quick to hear, two, slow to speak, three, slow to anger. But as I've grown and matured, I I see it as... Two instructions with one result. The more that I've introduced these first two steps into my marriage, there's not been anger to be slow to. The more that I've introduced those first two steps into ministry or into business or into any relationship, there's not been anger to be slow to in the first place. So now as I read this passage of Scripture, here's how it rings out in my ears and in my heart, and I offer it to you in this way. Everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak. And therefore, be slow to anger. If we can listen, not be so intent on expressing how we feel, what we think, but we can be willing to hear the other. There's much more room for solution than there is for problem. If we can come to a place where we can lay down old regrets, where we can respond quickly to a situation rather than let it sit and stir and build a poison in our body, if we can come to a place where we're willing to listen, slow to speak, I trust God that we can be a people who are slow to anger, a people who can embrace the fullness of God's healing and deliverance, the freedom that He's made a way for, that we can avoid the devil's trap for our life to make us angry. And according to what God has shown Moses, we can add the likeness of God into our lives through our words and our actions. His compassion, His graciousness, and a slowness to anger. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to ask God to do something in our lives this morning as it concerns this matter. Because we're all here from different places, walking through different circumstances and different situations. And different things stand out to us. Different passages of Scripture 
Some of us hear of healing and we're drawn to that. Some hear of freedom and deliverance and we're drawn to that. Some of us hear of anger and it's poison and we become aware of its effect on our life currently. And I want to ask God to, to respond to that point of contact from His Word in your life right here and now today. For the purpose of being a people slow to anger, for a purpose of receiving the benefits of God's presence and His Spirit. I want to trust and believe God for something great for each one of us. No matter what it is, no matter what point it was in the Word, I want to believe that God is here present to meet with you in that matter. So there where you stand, I want to pray. I want to ask God to do something. And I'm not asking you to be in agreement in that prayer. You can simply be in a state of, of receiving. Receiving something great from God. But I want to trust God to touch us in our hearts and in our minds for the purpose of delivering us and healing us from anger. Exposing the devil's traps in our lives. The points of offense and hurt and wound that have a continued effect even today. That those things from the past would not have a destructive power in our present. And open up the door for a powerful future. So there where you stand, I want to trust God for something great. You're welcome to simply be in a state of receiving. Father, we thank you. I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for your presence and your desire to bless your children. And as we stand here, let your blessing be revealed and magnified to us in the unique way that we so desperately need it. Collectively, we repent of anger. We renounce it. Receiving from your word that it will never accomplish your plan. That it will never accomplish anything but evil. Let that understanding lead us to a place of willingness to let go of all anger. And your goodness, your compassion, and your graciousness we reveal to us where anger has poisoned our hearts or our minds. Where anger has opened a door for destruction in our lives or our households. And let today be a day where the destruction of anger stops. Where we respond to the call to take on your likeness. Being slow to anger. Let our ears be quick to hear. Let our mouths be slow to speak. Let our hearts not pine for days gone by, but understand that this is the day that you've made. Let us never give Satan an opportunity by holding resentment in our hearts. But let us be quick to introduce the standard of your word into the situation of frustration. Let us be perfectly equipped to disarm every one of our enemy's traps. I ask on behalf of everyone in the room, Father, will you do a powerful work in us? As those points of anger are revealed to us, give us the courage and the strength to repent. To utter those words unto you, I repent for being angry. Show me what I must do. And let that courage and strength carry over to carry out your instruction that we would see anger done away with and we would see the promises that you have blessed us with unhindered in our lives.
We bless your name and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.